Hello and welcome to episode 191 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. We've got a fun series in the Bronx to talk about lots going on with the Blue Jays. There's some injuries, there's some worries about hitting with runners in scoring position, and of course, there's your classic position debates between who should play when and who should play against two. Bryson, Jacob, how are you? Doing good, Mark. We are, I guess, past now our first series between the Jays and Yankees, and I guess throughout what we saw this week kind of gives you an idea of what it's going to be like all year. This is going to be a very difficult matchup for the Jays and the Yankees. It's going to be two pretty much teams clashing at each other all season long, and I think we saw that a lot this week with a lot of ups, and of course there were a lot of downs this week, but uh, the Jays come out of it splitting the series like you were mentioning here after four games, and they come home now for a short weekend series against the uh, the A's this weekend. So doing pretty good with that, I guess. It could definitely have gone uh, a lot more worse, but of course there were a lot of things where you felt like it could have gone a lot better as well. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is yesterday's game, especially that ninth inning. I mean, man, to have Aroldis Chapman collapse like that and then to have the Blue Jays let the Yankees entirely off the hook with just a terrible double play from Bo Bichette looping that ball into, you know, kind of shallow right field and Matt Chapman making, frankly, the boneheaded decision to run it out. And, you know, you're always taught when you're running the base pass, if you're not sure what to do, just freeze until you figure it out. And Matt Chapman just made the wrong decision. So, yeah, a little bit of a brutal end to the series. But by and large, you know, you split it against someone who's going to be contending for the AL East all year. You can't be too upset. I don't think you can be happy with this series. But, you know, we're probably all somewhere in the middle. But, Jacob, how are you? You know what? As I think as disappointing as the series this was, I think there's a lot to build off of it. And one thing we can talk about, starting rotation, a lot better bullpen a lot better I think in most of these games it really just was I think the offense that needs to be worked on and it's kind of funny you have good offense in series one not so great offense in series two pitching is kind of reversed but at least we know that every aspect of the team has the capability to perform this way we just needed to be consistent and you know in the same games which we did see uh, to some extent in some of these games but you know what, a series split, an early split against a contending team, I'll take it. And I think it was, I believe it was Joe Siddle right before the season started who said, if the Blue Jays are hovering around 500, maybe within five-ish games above it, don't be overly concerned because they're playing a lot of uh, difficult opponents early on in the season, primarily in April. So I'll take it. They're still four and three, still, you know, room to work with against, uh, frankly, just a, a team of players I don't think anyone's heard of with Oakland coming tonight so lots to build on I think you just you take two or three three or three if you can against Oakland and then we'll see where things go yeah you mentioned the tough series coming up after Oakland the Blue Jays have Boston for two series before the end of April so that's part of the toughness of the schedule that's upcoming for the Blue Jays but yeah lots of up and downs for the Toronto Blue Jays phenomenal starting well I Maybe not phenomenal, but much improved starting in this series as compared to what we saw last weekend. Meanwhile, the hitting, um, you know, pretty much disappears. The Blue Jays go three for 30 with runners in scoring position. All three of those hits coming on Wednesday's game when they went three for eight with runners in scoring position. And then on Thursday, they went 0 for 9, Tuesday 0 for 6, and Monday 0 for 7. So that just gives you a sense of how much they struggled. And, you know, to be frank, for not hitting all series, they might be lucky to come away with a a 2-2 series split. But we talked about the hitting struggles. One guy who didn't struggle, at least in Wednesday's game, was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He had 
the night of his career with Garrett Cole on the mound. He hit two home runs and a double off Garrett Cole. One of the home runs was a fastball in at 98 miles an hour off the plate that boggled everyone's minds how Vladdy got to that pitch. And then, um, you know, against a reliever, he hits another home run. And it's a three-homer night, four extra base hit night. The first time a Blue Jay has had four extra base hits in a game since Yunel Escobar in 2012. And I think there was some stat saying he's the second youngest player to hit th- to have two three-home run games this young in his career. Um, and he's also the third Blue Jay to have multiple three home run games. He joins the likes of Edwin Encarnacion and Carlos Delgado on that list. So, I mean, just a crazy performance from him and ignoring everything else that happened this series. Um, what a night for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And we saw it last season against Max Scherzer against another future Hall of Famer in Garrett Cole. He does it again. Um, just crazy to see what he's able to do. And Bryson, I'm sure you're a little bit uh, happy right now. You predicted him for, what, 52, 53 home runs? <laughs> so he's uh, right on pace for that right now. Yeah, and I think what's you know what's more impressive about this is he hit two of those home runs with just a sliced hand. You know, he, I, I think it was, uh, who was it? Aaron Hicks, I think it was, that accidentally stepped on his fingers. One thing I do want to point out is, is Guerrero is extremely lucky that the the spikes went where they did because he easily, like his hand was, for those of you that didn't see, his hand was on the ground as he was kind of leaning over to catch the ball. Th- those spikes easily could have gone all over the back of his hand and probably taken him out of the game. And who knows, depending on what the injury was, depending on if there was serious internal damage, he could have been out for, you know, I don't want to say it, but he could have been out for a while. Luckily, it was just the fingers. He got them taped up. He hit two home runs after that. And quite frankly, he carried the Blue Jays to a win. And it's hard to say in baseball that you're necessarily carried to a win because there are two sides to the game. And each side, you know, your pitching and your defense and offense, they all have to be equally as good. But he carried them in this series. And the one thing I do want to say, those were the only four hits he had in this series. Uh, Still a very good series. Still four uh, four for 16. I'll take that any day. Um, if that's going to be considered your bad series, four home run, or three home runs, like that's still good, but just what a performance out of him in that game. And it, he did really carry this team and all we can say, hopefully he comes back in uh, tonight against uh, the athletics, see what he can do. I think it's possible that he, I mean, it's likely that he hits a couple home runs in this series. You know, you're facing not the greatest team in the athletics. You're back in the well, Yankee stadium still necessarily hitter friendly but you're coming back to a Rogers center where he's used to it in fact he hit the longest home run of his career the last time he was there so it's just what a great offensive performance from him and unfortunately we see Teoscar Hernandez now on the injured list so Vladimir Guerrero Jr. you know Matt Chapman George Springer Bo Bichette all these guys are now even more important because now you don't have a high 280 290 30 plus home run guy in your lineup for at least two weeks and all we can hope is that injury is short-lived or as short-lived as possible, but still, even without Teoscar Hernandez, if you can have a guy like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just absolutely lighting it up, and it was funny, he was asked where this ranks on his list of his like favorite games or his best games, and he just said, add that to my list. And <laughs> To me, that's just like the biggest power move you can make as a hitter, just you know, add that to my already ridiculous resume of things that I've done at 23 or whatever it is, turning 24, but just overall a fantastic performance from him and really took Garrett Cole deep out of anybody like one of the best pitchers and the highest paid pitcher in the league so just it's great to have him on this team I'll put it that way like if if I was 
a fan of any other team, I would just not even watch a game against the Blue Jays because you already know that he's going to put on a show and just it's it's just this the movie has officially started I, I like i hate to use that joke over and over again but for a guy like this a guy that is just consistently this good it's it you can't ask for anything else and you just you hope that things like this can continue as unfortunately you know matt chapman i know it's early still struggling a little bit alejandro kirk struggling a bit uh Bobichet's doing a little bit better in terms of in terms of his uh uh performances but all you can hope is things like this don't carry uh, or don't continue and you don't necessarily need a guy like this to carry. But as for now, I think a lot of fans will take it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised like completely at all. So I didn't know if he was going to pretty much pick up exactly where he left off right away, but that appeared to be the case. And of course, it was kind of a crazy... I just It just shows how crazy baseball is because you go from that with Guerrero, I guess, getting the hat trick. And then, of course, the next day, which was last night, uh, he pretty much gets the golden sombrero. So it's baseball can be a crazy game. And uh, when you look at it that way, it's just, I don't know. I, it's interesting because of how quickly and up and down he went. But, I mean, overall this series, and, of course, I guess minus yesterday, yeah, I mean, he was all over it. The exit velocities were all pretty much high. Everything seemed high about that. And, of course, the home run or the home runs that he hit were pretty much monster shots compared to the first one. The first one was just over the wall, but it just shows also the power that he has. It went dead uh, center field. So the first home run, 416 feet. The second, 427 feet. And, of course, the third um, as well. It was 443 feet. And, of course, it was also 4 for 4 because another impressive hit that he had was that double upright field when uh, Garakol actually tipped his cap off to him. So that was probably one of the most impressive uh, swings as, as well for me that game. I think that was... Probably the highlight because of how much he actually reached. And of course, Mark, you mentioned it, the 98 one, he got up and in uh, from the fastball. That also was absolutely crushed. So they're in good hands, obviously. And it just shows that, you know, coming into this year, he knows that, of course, last year you were, you were obviously robbed of the MVP, of course, because of Shohei Otani taking over and what he did, the impact that Otani had. So, and even Vladimir Guerrero Jr. admitted it coming into the year that he was almost, he was almost motivated to be, I guess, get that MVP and go after that award right away because he knows that, um, you know, unfortunately, since Otani won the MVP, he still felt like he deserved a couple of votes. He was saying how he was kind of shocked that it was kind of a unanimous decision when um, Shohei Otani got all the votes. So he's got a little bit of a chip up or a chip on his shoulder this year in a good way. Um, he's really motivated and he looks like he's having fun out there. So it doesn't surprise me whatsoever, which is why I predicted him to hit 52 home runs. And yeah, Mark, you were saying it right now. He's well on pace for it. So it's definitely a good start. He looks comfortable as well at first base. You can't complain about that. So minus the game yesterday where it just seemed like the entire team had no approach at the plate. Uh, Guerrero's been off to um, a, a good start. And he's been take, pretty much picking off right where he left off. So you hope that this is something where he can get going for, you know, almost just consistently going the rest of the month because you guys were talking about it. I think, Mark, when you when you opened up, is that the schedule that they have coming up is really tough. And April specifically is really tough that you got Boston a couple times. And, of course, you have the Astros as well next weekend. So it's not like you're playing easy opponents besides this weekend against the A's. But not to mention the A's actually took, I think it was three or four games from the Rays. So they're actually playing good baseball right now. So it's going to be interesting how it plays out this weekend. So Vladimir Guerrero Jr., not surprising to me whatsoever. And it's, of course, in a time, too, where, uh, Jacob, you touched on a little bit, Bo Bichette 
not exactly the fastest start. I know he's kind of working through it right now. He seems to be a little bit more comfortable throughout the last couple of games in particular. So you have that. And of course, you have George Springer, who's been red hot out of the gate off the leadoff spot. So him and um, Springer and Guerrero have pretty much been the two right now leading the way at the top of the order. And uh, that's why, you know, is the offense has been up and down. It's been hot and cold. Those guys in particular pretty much have been the most consistent ones right now. And of course you hope that the rest of the lineup eventually gets into it. They eventually get to gel together because, you know, for last, last night, I believe uh, it was the second time this series, they got shut out. And I believe last year they only got shut out three times or something like that. And this year they've been shut out twice already in four games, or I guess I should say in seven games, but four games or twice in the last four games. So, you know, not exactly the most ideal stat right now to start things off. And it's been very inconsistent because the games where they put up zero runs this series alone, it was definitely tough to watch. I mean, they had so many opportunities. You, you touched on the running runners with scoring position marks. So that's why, you know, you look at that and, you know, it was kind of a similar thing last year. We were dealing with it early on where they had so many guys left on base and you're just sitting there and you're just you want to pull your hair out of your head because of all the opportunities that they had. And that's why, you know. It, it does suck in, the, in a way like that, but we all know it's not going to be sustainable. We all know they're all going to get going at the same time, and we all know that Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, if all goes well, he's going to be playing like this pretty much for the rest of the year. So nothing surprises me with that, but what a heck, a heck of a start from Vladdy, especially these last four games uh, at, at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, you couldn't ask for anything better from Vladdy, and I think, like, I mean, you could. You could ask for not having a golden sombrero, in yesterday's game but at the same time like this is baseball you can like Jeff Passon tweeted this you can walk into a stadium one day and be the best hitter on the face of the planet and walk in the next day and go over four with four strikeouts like that's just how baseball works and I think what we've seen from Vladdy time and time again is that he always makes adjustments he always improves and you know even just going back to last year he routinely struggled with the fastballs inside with the up and inside pitches and then we see on Wednesday, he hits a home run off of one of the best fastballs in the game up and inside. So he's always going to be making those adjustments. And we saw the Yankees make adjustments the other way, throwing in pitches down and outside. There was a lot of pitches down in the zone, a lot of off-speed stuff. They made the adjustments to him, and he struggled. But we know he's going to bounce back and make those adjustments in turn. So, um, yeah, really good to see that performance from him. And like you said, not everything's clicking right now in the offense. Springer's hot. Flatty's hot. Bichette hasn't really been hot all season. Um, and now the Blue Jays have a spot to fill in the fourth spot of their lineup because Teoscar Hernandez is out with an oblique strain. This happened on, was it Tuesday night? I think it was Wednesday. Oh, uh, Wednesday night. It was Wednesday night. Um, it was the sixth inning. Teoscar Hernandez swung. Looks like he had a little bit of discomfort on his left side. Um, Charlie Montoya was at the top step of the dugout. Um, Hernandez kind of waved him off, stuck in for one more swing, grounded it out to the left side of the infield, but he was clearly in pain, clearly grimacing, couldn't really jog down to first. And then we find out the next day that he's hitting the 10 day injured list. Probably going to be a little bit longer. We know with these oblique injuries, um, Hernandez missed 10 games when he had a similar injury in September of 2020, but this one he's been saying is a little bit more severe than that, so we might be looking at 15 to 20 games for him. Um, it's a blow for the Blue Jays, especially when you think about their offensive struggles right now, and especially when you think about the other injuries they've had to Danny Jansen, who like Hernandez, has suffered a similar oblique strain and is probably going to be out for a little bit, although we've been hearing from Jano 
that he's been doing a little bit better. He said there was a clip on the broadcast yesterday about how, um, you know, first couple days you just don't want to move side to side at all, but then after that you start to feel less pain, and he's kind of at that point. So um, both these guys out right now, obviously hurting the Blue Jays. And I think the thing about this as kind of ironic is that the Blue Jays had depth at these positions, and then they traded it away. We were talking before the season, Reese McGuire traded to the Chicago White Sox. I think you would dramatically prefer Reese McGuire in that starting lineup to Zach Collins right now. And then we talk about the Blue Jays trading away Randall Grishik for Ramiel Tapia. I said it when that trade happened. If there's a long-term injury to one of these outfield starters, I would prefer Randall Grishik to be in there every day as a starter instead of Ramiel Tapia. And it just so happens that now we have an injury. It doesn't look like it's going to be long-term, thankfully. But um, it's ironic that the Blue Jays had those depths, uh, that depth at those positions, and now they don't. And now it is, to some extent, coming back to cost them. So I guess my first question to you guys is, hindsight being twenty twenty, if this is you know three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and you know what's going to happen with these guys, do you still make these trades? See, I think I... The outfield trade I do. Here's the thing, Randall Grichik. We I like him. I think we all somewhat agreed on that last year or last uh, whatever episode it was. He wasn't a bad outfielder. There was just no fit for him in Toronto. He easily could play. I don't know, 140 games if given the chance to, and he's looks like he's going to get that chance in in Colorado. In Toronto, he's not getting that chance. Now, yes, obviously this injury complicates it a little bit. Even if it is only, I think Teoscar said two weeks, so maybe 14, 15 games, whatever it is. That obviously complicates it, but I still I still make that trade and bet on Ramil Tapia a little bit more because he is a lefty. He is a lot faster than Randall Grichik. Is he the best offensively? I mean, last year he was definitely a little bit better, I would argue, especially even in Colorado. But uh, I still make that trade. I still bring him in. It's just, unfortunately, it, it, it's just, a, it's not necessarily that Tapia is a, a 10 out of 10 and Grichik's a 7 out of 10 or like something like that. It's just Tapia is a better fit for this team. Blue Jays have a lot of righties. They have a lot of guys that can hit for power. I just don't think that that Randall Grichik would have been as good a fit. Now, yes, obviously playing every day is going to complicate it, but how many at-bats? He's played, he only has a 143 average uh nothing crazy you know his his season really has just started you know he's only played uh, uh tappy has only played in four games with uh 16 plate appearances so not crazy numbers but we say this all the time very small sample size i still give him a couple more series and even look at it lordis Gurriel jr similar average he's obviously he doesn't have it right now uh, and i mean he's a very spotty guy but a lot of guys are struggling right now so i give him uh, i give him the benefit of the doubt right now now as for the catching depth, it's it's tough because I think we all mentioned it with with uh, Reese McGuire. His options were just not there, so you can't necessarily just send him back down if something happens. Like say say no injury happens and the lineup or the the roster is is shrunken again, you now have no choice but to have him pass through waivers or maybe it's Kirk or Jansen, but you have somebody that needs to go through waivers or potentially get lost to another team and I think it gives the Blue Jays flexibility is it ideal to have them playing every day or playing you know within every every couple days not really but just I think the 
the behind the scenes stuff makes a little bit more sense for them. And you just you hope that you don't need to rely on these guys. But I think it in the case where even if you don't have a full healthy roster or even if you do, it makes a little bit more sense to have that type of flexibility. And and this is no disrespect to any of those players. I think it's just kind of what everybody likes to do is they like to analyze it. But I would I wouldn't go back and change any of these trades just knowing that you know, what we said going into the trades made a lot of sense, and they still do make a lot of sense. It's just probably not ideal to have them playing every single day or every other day. Yeah, I'm with you on the Gritchick trade. I think if you're the Jays, I still think you make that trade. Uh, I still think they're fine in terms of the depth in the outfield. I know they just, we, we know they added Bradley Zimmer, and of course they have Tapia, like you guys were saying. So that one I make. The Maguire one, I probably look back and I probably regret that one. I, I, I think that's where I different from you a little bit, Jacob. But I just think that when you look at the Maguire one, in terms of the catching, the catching is definitely the more intriguing situation to me. I mean, you look at the the depth to Hernandez. We know that they have a little bit more depth in terms of the outfield than they do for catching. Like right now, you have Alejandro Kirk, of course. You have Tyler Heineman and you have Zach Collins. And Alejandro Kirk, we know that really hasn't played like every day in terms of the MLB level before because he's been injured or he's been up and down. So this is a massive test for him. I mean, I think the Jays are going to be asking him to catch about every three to five days. And you don't know if he's really going to be able to do that. Like we, we really don't know, but it just feels like he could. But I think it's just the workload is what I'm trying to refer to here because he's never again been, I guess, especially catching because we know that he's he, they love mixing him in the lineup as a DH and catching. But in terms of catching consistently every three to five days, it's just something that he's never done before. So I think that's the only challenge you have there. And of course you have Tyler Heineman who we know that he had that, or he had that bad player, I guess that bad throw a couple days ago. I don't necessarily blame all that on him because clearly it was a design play that somebody else was calling for from the dugout. It wasn't exactly him just throwing it, you know, out of his own choice. And then you have Zach Collins who is another, you know, decent option. He, I guess he's similar to McGuire, but it just feels like those two guys in particular, they didn't get a lot of time to work with these pitchers in the short and spring training. You can tell that they're a little bit behind in terms of signs. There were a few mix-ups going on along the way. So this is something that the Jays are kind of adjusting to on the fly here. So that one, I probably look back on and say, if I can do that again, hold on to McGuire. And then maybe when the time does come where they have to move one of those guys because of the rosters, I guess, uh, going down back to 26 at the end of the month. Maybe that's an approach you take. But for the Teoscar Hernandez injury, it is it is a massive blow. You were talking about it, Mark. But I still think throughout the next couple of weeks, this is something that they can survive with. I mean, you have Tapia as an option. You have Zimmer as an option. Even Kevin Bijou, we're going to get into a little bit later on. This does open up some opportunities for him. I, I don't see how it doesn't for somebody who can possibly play the outfield. So the real question for me uh, with Hernandez gone is who's going to hit in that cleanup spot? Is there going to be different changes? Along the way, we saw yesterday that it was Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Will it always be Lourdes Gurriel Jr.? I think that's a question you have to ask. And we know that somebody like last year, I think Bo Bichette, had a lot of uh, or a few opportunities or a few, I guess, games where he did hit cleanup. Or same with Vladimir Gurriel Jr. So both of those guys have history in the cleanup spot. Do you want to mess with that lineup now? Do you want to move things around? Or do you want to kind of keep those guys, those, those first three guys set in stone right now? And if that's the case... Who's going to be hitting cleanup behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I guess, throughout the next couple of weeks? It could definitely change. I expect it to not always be Guerrero because we know how creative they like to try and be in terms of, you know, always adjusting the lineup. I mean, Rymel Tapia was hitting fifth yesterday, and that was something that I don't think any of us had in terms of a prediction. So that was definitely a little bit of a kind of a surprise to see that. And, you know, it's just going to be one out of many different things they try. So 
whether it's moving guys down like that, like especially Bichette, moving him down a four, maybe moving somebody lower in the lineup to the second spot. So uh, Bichette could hit fourth. I don't know what they're going to do yet. I personally would try right now to leave the lineup the same. I like how I've always liked Bichette and Guerrero hitting second and third. That's just my personal preference. But again, they're going to try and be flexible. They're going to make some changes. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple games where that happens and there's going to be different changes on that. And then right now, other than those two guys in terms of Tapia Zimmer, and I guess you can give an honorable mention to Kevin Biggio, you know, you don't really have, that's pretty much all you have right now. Like Dexter Fowler's an option in the minor leagues. He's going to be playing sim games. I think he might've already started down in Dunedin and he's going to eventually report to AAA Buffalo. So in a couple weeks time, if uh, Hernandez is still out, we don't know again because he's optimistic two weeks, but we all know that this can be a lot more or a lot longer than two weeks. There's definitely an opportunity that maybe Fowler can be an option. And I think this is a point right now where just I feel like in-house options may be the only opportunity here for them to get through these next couple of weeks. And then going back to the catching situation, there's a very famous topic in this one because we all know that we have a segment called the Gabriel Moreno Watch. And a lot of people are wondering, is this going to speed up the process for him to get to the major leagues? I don't necessarily think right now is still a good idea, but... It all depends on these oblique injuries, and I think that's why it's really, I guess, confusing or it could be very unclear right now because the timetables are so, it's very hard to predict. Like, it can, you know, we saw in 2020, Teoscar Hernandez had the exact same injury, maybe a little bit less severe than the one he suffered a couple days ago, but he was only out 12 days. And, of course, Danny Jansen, who we're expecting probably to be out around four to six weeks, and Teoscar Hernandez can easily be out that long. There's going to be questions. I mean, at the end, of, when we head into early May, if this is still a problem, do the Jays maybe have no choice but to give Gabriel Moreno a shot? I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I agree with it. I still think Moreno needs reps in AAA Buffalo, but these are all questions that are being asked right now. So both of these situations are are obviously not ideal to start the season, and it's kind of ironic, like you were talking about, Mark, the two guys they traded, and they're both oblique injuries, so it's so kind of unclear what's happening, but... They're, they're different in a couple of ways because I think the catching situation is a little bit more of a concern than where the outfield in the outfield. Uh, I think that's a little bit more of a concern. In the lineup, I think they're going to be fine in terms of trying to fill in that void for Hernandez. Defensively, again, it's going to be different names coming in and out. Tapia, Zimmer, Biggio, and there might be a couple other guys that come in throughout the rest of the month. So that one I'm fine with. I think the Jays built their the offseason up, and we all know, of course, Grichik was a, a good depth piece, but you add Zimmer a couple days ago, so it feels like they added kind of a finishing touch on what they thought their depth was going to look like in the outfield. The catching situation, because we know how d- good of a leader Danny Jansen is and how he's kind of the stone in terms of being that guy, the the rock behind the plate for all these pitchers, that one is a little bit more intriguing to me. Can Alejandro Kirk handle the workload? We know the bat's going to get going. He's one of the guys that's had a slow start. Defensively, he's always kind of been a little bit of a step behind, but a lot of people on the Jays are happy with his development and his improvement defensively. So, that's the main question for me, and we're going to see without the next couple of weeks. But right now, again, to answer your question, you make the Gritchick trade, in my opinion. The Maguire one, I think you might want to look back and kind of double check on that one. And maybe if you have the opportunity to do it again, you hold back on it for now. Yeah, I think I mostly agree with you. I don't, like, I don't know. It's a tough one, right? I don't, like, yeah, yeah, like, I don't, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Like, you can't, I'm not. To put it this way, I'm not mad at the Blue Jays front office for making these deals. Like, injuries happen. Yeah, maybe they should have expected them to happen. I'm, I'm sure they did expect them to happen. But, like, 
it happens. It's a fact of life in <laughs> yeah. baseball. It's a fact of life in any sport. You can't control it. Uh, it it's unpredictable whether injuries are going to happen or not. So, yeah, like I'm, I'm obviously frustrated by these injuries. I think they hurt the Blue Jays in the short run, in the long run as well. But it's not something that I'm really holding against the front office for making these deals. It's not something that you're overly concerned about, especially because it is just a, you know, we're today entering the second week of the season. So it it is early. As much as all these games matter, it is early. Injuries are going to happen. This is expected. You go back to last year, Teoscar Hernandez missed two to three weeks with COVID. So, I, I mean, it happens. It's going to happen. The Blue Jays knew it was going to happen. And they do have serviceable options in place. If they're not great, well, that's a fact we'll have to live with. They traded away guys who may potentially be better. But, um, yeah, Remo Tapia diversifies this lineup. Zach Collins has options. You see the pluses and minuses in all these trades. So, you mentioned the lineup. Um, I think I prefer Bo Bichette batting fourth. I got to be honest. I think he serves the Blue Jays better as a cleanup option. And obviously that enters into the question of who bats second. I think you obviously want someone ahead of Vladdy who's going to see pitches, who's going to take pitches. Um, I think the strength of the Blue Jays lineup last year was that Marcus Simeon was that guy. George Springer's a free swinger. Vladdy doesn't want to be constraining his approach because the two guys ahead of him are free swingers and, and swung at everything. But Marcus Simeon was there to see pitches, take pitches, work counts, get on base ahead of Vladdy. I don't think Bobuchet does that. I, I think Bobuchet is kind of right there along George Springer. More so than George Springer, he's a free swinger. Bobuchet uh, will swing at anything. We know that. He'll take wild hacks at everything. And it seems like the count, the, the at bat doesn't really start until the count's at 0 2. So that's the reason why I think Bichette works a little bit better as a cleanup hitter than a number two hitter. It's just the Blue Jays don't have any other options, really. I don't think they have anyone good to slide in at number two, especially, you know, I think in the situation where Teoscar is healthy, yeah, put him at four, put Bichette at two. But when Teoscar isn't there, yeah, it'd be wonderful to move Bichette to four, but then who do you put in the two spot? Like, is it, I've heard people talking about Matt Chapman, in the two spot 15 games last year in this in the second spot yeah like he walks but he does strike out a lot and he's not hitting right now so I don't want him in the number two spot I've also heard people mention Kevin Biggio which I think it's an interesting option because Kevin Biggio does take pitches but I'm not sure he really works counts because he is more of an easy out than everyone does not offer production to Vladdy at all so I don't know. It's a tough conundrum, and I think right now the Blue Jays are just going to do what they did last night, which was you know, just keep Bo in the number two spot and just slide everyone up one. Put Lourdes four, whoever's hitting five, put him five. Probably normally going to be someone like Matt Chapman or Alejandro Kirk, but yesterday it was Ramiel Tapia. So I think that's what we'll see moving forward. Um, last thing I want to touch on on this topic, you mentioned in-house options for these guys. I do want to bring up one name that's still on the free agent market. It's Michael Conforto. Conforto, at least publicly, we know that he is not close to signing with any team. Um, I think what we heard from Scott Boris was that he had suffered an injury over the offseason and didn't want to sign with the team until he was fully ready to return and fully healthy. I don't know if that's still the case or if it's just the fact that no teams are interested in him right now, but I think he could be an option for the Blue Jays. We talked a lot about him over the offseason. 
he fills a spot for the Blue Jays. He's probably going to come fairly cheap right now just because of the fact that it's already getting into, you know, the second week of the season and he doesn't have a team. I think that's an option the Blue Jays should consider. Do I think it's going to happen? No. I I think the Blue Jays have kind of maxed out their free agent spending. They've maxed out their moves. We saw that towards the tail end with them making these small moves one for one at the major league level to make improvements. I think they're tapped out. I think it's something they should entertain and they should try to do because Conforto would be a fantastic addition to this team, especially with injuries to Teoscar Hernandez. Again, don't think it'll happen. It's early in the season. We usually don't see these types of big deals early on in the season to replace guys who are only going to be injured for two weeks, but I think it's something they should entertain. Yeah, I mean, entertain it, sure. I just, when I look at his career numbers, I don't necessarily... Like, they're not terrible, but I don't necessarily think it makes much more sense to go out and acquire them. And I think it's the best way to put it is the the interval at which you would be improving isn't as uh, isn't as great as if you were to go get someone else. Like, you can put Raymond Tapia in every day and he'll probably put up like a 250 average, 260, 270 if you're lucky. I don't That's know, a little bit like generous. That, but... <laughs> we yeah, okay, we saw but, what Raymond okay, Tapia so... <laughs> can do yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> that was an ugly Okay, impact. maybe like 220 to 240 something like that but my point is is when you look at Michael Conforto two he's basically hit two th- 232 the last two seasons 257 in 2019 243 the year before he had a couple good years with the Mets uh you know but he's very spotty like he's going to give you league average at best numbers maybe he'll hit a little bit better at times i don't know like but he's not the greatest outfielder but my point is is if you go and acquire him it it almost just doesn't really make sense because you're not necessarily fully improving over the options you have right now and if Teoscar Hernandez really is only out two weeks then it doesn't make sense at all because then he's just going to go sit in the minors probably have an opt-out if uh if he doesn't stay with the big league team or something like that so I don't really think it's likely if you ask me this in spring training I say absolutely bring him see what happens give him one of those opt-outs if he doesn't make the league or make the big league roster on opening day but as of right Jacob, now, I nec- just so we know who we're talking about, we're talking about Michael Conforto. Oh, this guy had yeah. an OPS plus of 154 in 2020. Like, this is a good hitter. We're not talking about someone who's like a minor league signing. No, no, no but like he's going to make the okay. major league roster. <laughs> he was, yeah, he no, was no, projected I, I to get like a three year, 35 or 40 million dollar deal. Yeah, no, fair enough. I just, I don't think that it's over, like, I don't think that the overall career numbers back up him being much more of a improvement over what they have right now. But and Ramil especially Tapia, if Teoscar's only Emil Tapia's career OPS plus is like 85. <laughs> Michael Conforto's career OPS plus and uh, OPS plus is, you know, not the be all end all stat, but Michael Conforto's 124. His worst OPS plus in the last five years was last season. He was 101. Tapia's like 89 last season. That was a good season. That's fa- Yeah. Okay. That's absolutely fair. But I think but my point is, is like if if you go out and acquire him, it's not necessarily it's not like you're going out and getting like a significant, significant improvement for like two weeks or three weeks. If you need I disagree it. with that. I think Marco Conforto is a significant improvement. OK, that's yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I just I if it's a long term injury and, and I, don't, I hope to God that's not the case. But if it w- if it were to be a longer term issue with the outfielders, you absolutely entertain it. But 
going out and acquiring someone right now when it really could only be for two weeks then at that point it like depth is great but it, there's only so much depth you need if you if you have guys that are going to be in the lineup every single day it's a tough one I mean it, it is a tough one when you look at it and of course like we all know Michael Conforto is probably those like a better player of what they have right now I just for me I don't always like the idea that you have to go out like when injuries happen like this where you go out and make a move just to do that like I think that's where sometimes teams can definitely you know I don't want to say panic but it's just definitely sometimes it doesn't exactly work out for players like that when you go out short term and get somebody like that to I guess to a certain point of what Jacob was saying but we're not going to take away the player that Michael Conforto is like he is a he would be a pretty big addition and I don't know about you guys like I don't know if you guys heard about this Mark I don't know if you did either I don't know how true it is or not. This is all speculation, so I want to make it clear that this is not coming from me without any personal knowledge, but there is a lot of questions about his vaccination status. That is also one of the reasons why people think maybe in in certain markets, and I guess because before the season started, we know that the New York mandate was still in effect, right? And that kind of changed right at the end of spring training. We don't know his vaccination status. It's very unclear. And a lot of people reporting that that could be a reason why the Jays maybe haven't signed him or they haven't really, I guess, pursued him. Um, I think it was Joel Sherman who was reporting that it was kind of a unclear topic right now of what's going on because of that. So that's something uh, that's pretty much, I guess, a potential impact on it. But, you know, and if you want to take away that impact and if you're just going to assume he's available out there, Again, I don't always like the idea of going out to, I guess, just to fill in, to make a move, just to say you made a move. And I think that's sometimes where, you know, it could be, it could just backfire on a team. So right now, it we're, we're expecting it not to be too significant in terms of a timetable for somebody like Teoscar Hernandez or even Danny Jansen, if you want to throw his name in there as well. We expect a couple of weeks before they're coming back. And I think in the meantime, you got to try and go you go with what you have. You got to try and go in-house and um, we're it's just going to see what happens from that. And if it gets long-term, if it gets significant, maybe they revisit something like that. But right now it's a tricky spot. Like this is all a really, really not an ideal option for the Jays to be in right now. So that's why when you talk about this, when you guys shared your points on, you know, just your little discussion there, it's, it's, you could see both sides of your argument. You could. So that's why it's a tough one. It really is. And, you know, we know that Conforto as well was injured. I think he was in, he was injured in spring training. And that's also one of the reasons why he didn't sign with any team. Uh, he was trying to, I guess, get healthy before that was the case. He's a Scott Boris client. So that was Scott Boris um, talking about that or pretty much mentioning why he still isn't signed. So that's a name to watch. And I think he clearly is in no rush to sign with any team. So he's looking for that right opportunity. So right now, I just think the right approach, unless things escalate and get kind of, you know, in a bigger, bigger than what they are. I think right now you just got to stay in house and you got to go with what you have. I really do think that just because externally, it could always be kind of it could it just shows sometimes where the front offices get too desperate it could really backfire with what or pretty much backfire of what uh the decision they make so you know you need you need guys like Tapia to play better i mean he's been off to a horrible start i think he's you know he's striking out a lot too which is something that he doesn't really do Bradley Zimmer we know the player he is somebody who tends to get on base but of course the cost of striking out a lot as well so these aren't these aren't Teoscar Hernandez type of guys we know that and that's why there is a little bit of a hole in the lineup right now but I think they can make do with what they have for the next couple of weeks. And if things escalate, maybe you revisit it. Maybe you look at other options. I mentioned Dexter Fowler. He's going to be on the way up. 
he might get a look at it or look at some point. And of course, there's you know other names probably in the minor leagues. I know Nathan Lucas was a guy that almost cracked the Jays roster out of spring training. He's an option. You know, I know Josh Palacios was an option. He still is, but it's going to be a little bit more difficult for him because he's no longer on the 40-man roster. So that comes with a corresponding move. So the Jays still have names in-house, which is why I'm fine, I think, if they kind of make do with what they have for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I Like, I agree with you that it's not a good idea for the Blue Jays to panic by right now. They don't need to. They won't. I, like, if I was guessing the certainty of a deal being made right now for another outfielder, I'd put it at 97% that they don't make a deal for an outfielder, any outfielder right now. Like whether it's Michael Conforto or the fifth outfielder in Cleveland, like I I would be willing to bet with almost total certainty that they're not making a deal for an outfielder right now. I just think it's something we can entertain. And I wasn't aware of the vaccine stuff. Who knows whether it's true or not, but that's obviously something that comes to play here. And yeah, like, I don't think it's going to happen, but Michael Conforto is a really good outfielder, despite what Jacob might think. And uh, I think the Blue Jays should at least pursue it, at least explore it, at least have some conversations about it, even if it's most likely never going to happen. So um, let's talk about some of the other players who have been in discussions about playing time. Um, Santiago Espinal and Kevin Biggio are kind of locked in a head-to-head battle of playing time right now. Uh, We talked about it last time. We're going to talk about it again. I'm sure we're going to talk about it again after this podcast. But it seems like right now, Santiago Espinal is the guy who's getting the starting duties at second base slash he got third base yesterday. Kind of a weird situation with Chapman sitting and getting a scheduled day of rest. Um, Santiago Espinal is that guy. Lots of people want to see Kevin Biggio in the starting lineup. I'm someone who's optimistic about Kevin Biggio, but at the same time, you got to go with the hot hand. And I completely agree with the decision to roll with Santiago Espinal right now, just because he's the guy who's getting it done and Kevin Biggio is not. I think both of you agree with me on that, but I'll let you have your say. See, here's the thing. I've said this, I know I've said this since the season has started. Kevin Biggio is not the greatest offensively. We know that. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for last season because of the injuries, especially neck. How are you supposed to swing a bat when you're, when you're the, the thing that connects to your arms is not necessarily as good as it needs to be. But so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt for that season. This season, I don't really know what, what to say. He had spring training. Yes, I know the lockout. I know there's a lot of other factors and there may be things that we don't know about, but all I can say is Santiago Espinal over 2020, 2021, and now very little into this season has been a has been a good offensive weapon for this team. He's not a power hitter. He's going to hit you five home runs if he gets to play every day, maybe maybe ten. Which I mean, you'll take it if you got guys. You got four guys that can hit thirty. But we know what he can do. He's going to get on base. Uh, we've seen him kind of all throughout the lineup or the the bottom half of the lineup. Really, he's better offensively than Kevin Biggio. What's making it even more convincing to me right now is his defense. And I, the, here's the thing. There's been many plays just the start of the season where Biggio has bobbled a ball that's th- been thrown to him at second base and he m- tried to throw to the first base almost like a, a double play. We saw that in the opening day game. I think there was a couple more that I just can't remember the exact game off the top of my head. But his defense has been shaky. And it was a bit shaky last year at third base, although different position. Again, maybe we give him the benefit of the doubt, 
But the overarching theme here is that Santiago Espinal is a better player as of right now. Maybe Bijou has a higher ceiling, but right now it has to be Santiago Espinal. And some people might be saying it's early. Who needs to, you know, you don't, you don't need a definitive starting, whatever it is, second baseman this season uh, right now. My argument would be you missed out on the playoffs by one game last year. Every single game matters. And if right now, uh, on Friday, April 15th, if Santiago Espinal is your best your best weapon against the Oakland Athletics, a team that, yeah, is playing well, but it's not expected to be great, you play him. And I'm not saying Biggio gets no playing time. You know, maybe, maybe you throw him in as the DH. You know, the DH is universal this year, so that gives the teams more flexibility. I mean, when they're playing in the NL, but... Maybe you you put him into the lineup when you can, especially if Chapman or um, if you, we talk, he, he can play outfield at times. Maybe you try to throw him in there instead of Tapia one game. But you can if you get him in the lineup, I get it. But I think the the primary playing time needs to go to Santiago Espinal until he proves really that he needs either a day off or or that Biggio needs a day in. Because at this point, like this team, we've said this a million times, this team is ready to contend now. And you can't go and contend in October if you don't win 95-ish games in throughout the first 162. So I think it has to be Santiago Espinal. I'm not I'm not even saying a platoon anymore. Like I'm saying maybe a 70 to 80, 70 to 80, and then like 30-20 split at second base if you want to be uh, specifically talking about second base for those two. But you know, as for now, it's it's got to be Espinal. And to the people that want Biggio in the lineup, I get it. It's you know, it's a it's a nice story of him coming up with with uh, Bichette and and Guerrero at some point though you you have to make those tough decisions and you need to say that yeah this is our best guy and we're going to put him out there until he proves otherwise yeah um I think this injury to Teos Hernandez does open a little bit of a door up for Bijou. I mentioned him earlier on I think he's got about 36 career games in right field so he's going to be a guy that gets to look at I guess out in right field sometimes probably one of, you know, it's probably a break for Biggio because right now the way Santiago Espinal started the season, yeah, I mean, Jacob, you were talking about it. He pretty much started off hot right out of the gate, which is why Biggio was on the bench. I mean, I think a key detail from what happened this week was Monday when Jameson Tyone pitched. He's a right-hander, of course. The next day was followed by Nestor Cortez. Espinal got to start on Monday and against a righty. So, and, I, and of, of course, the next day was against Cortez, who was a lefty. So, it was pretty... Uh, obvious that he was going to get a start back-to-back days, and I think that was definitely a key detail to take out from that series. But, you know, I understand that every game matters, like you were saying, and I understand that, you know, what happened with the Jays last year or whatnot, but we are seven games in, and that's why for guys like Biggio, I understand he's been off to a little bit of a slower start. He still, I think, deserves a look. Like, I'm not going to define his season after seven games or less than that because he's definitely been... He hasn't been in every game, so that's why I'm still maybe a little bit cautiously opt- optimistic with him. He's a lot better of a player than this. We we know that he's got power, of course, and he can get on base despite the strikeouts or despite the lower average that he does produce at the plate. So with there's that. And, of course, with Espinal, too, you know, he's been really good. We know the, the weight he gained in the offseason, the muscle that he put on. We know that he just it was hitting the ball really well in the first couple of games. The question that comes to me is that if you're going to give him this opportunity of constant playing time almost every day, can he sustain those numbers that he started the season off with? I think that's something that we haven't really seen from him, and it's, it's nothing against him. It's just because he hasn't had the enough experience, I think, to determine that. I mean, last year he played in 92 games, so that's obviously not a full year. We know that he was a guy that was a utility guy. He was in and out of the lineup. 
that's the only question to me is if you're going to put him in, let's say at the end of the year, he's in 130 plus games. Are we going to see those similar numbers? Is he going to be able to maintain that consistently? I don't know. And I'm not saying he can't because I give, of course there's the, the chance that he could. I'm just saying this is the uncertainty of that. So what all I'm trying to say the, is, go ahead. But yeah. I think the, the, the point of whether he can maintain it over a full season doesn't really matter right now because we're no. talking about playing time at the moment and whoever gets a playing time in the moment should be whoever's hot. Yeah, and that's that's what I was gonna about to move into is that right now you ride with the hotter hand, and that was coming into the season. We knew that that was gonna be the situation. So right now, that is why Espinal has been in the lineup every day, pretty much, and he's been coming off the bench in the games that he didn't start. So that's why um, that's pretty much been the case. Why and Bijo pretty much has gotten out to as slow of, of a start as you can imagine. It hasn't been ideal from right out of the gate. He doesn't have a hit yet. He's been on base a little bit. Um, so that's something I guess to take away from there, but. He's got to get a hit. We know that. And, of course, he's going to get an opportunity in the outfield. He's going to get an opportunity at second base. Sometimes we saw yesterday with Matt Chapman out of the lineup. Espinal played third base. Bijou was in at second base. So he's going to have an opportunity for him. It's not like his playing time is completely gone, Bijou, But it's something to monitor. And I think it's something that it's still, for me, because of the fact that they are going with the hotter hand, it's hard for me to still kind of fully commit to Espinal getting that full-time role. Like, I think it's something that you got to pretty much evaluate, you know, weekly or at the end of each series. And if it continues, continues to be like this throughout the next couple of weeks, throughout the next couple of months, then maybe we do have that discussion where if he takes over that high leverage of playing time. So that's all I'm trying to say is that as much as Espinal has been out to a great start, I'm still holding out cautiously. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about Biggio. And I don't know if I'm crazy or not, but if that's the case, I still think he deserves a little bit of a shot. And um, it could have the exact same conversation in a couple months if he still doesn't play well. So it's still too early for me to tell, but I like how they are handling things so far, and which is why uh, Santiago Espinal has been playing majority of the game. So that's what pretty much I was all, all I was trying to say. So we'll see what happens with that, and it's something to continue to monitor. So both guys are getting opportunities to play. It's going to be up to them of who's going to stay in the lineup and who's uh, going to stay out of the lineup. So we'll see what happens with that. But as a team, from a team standpoint, you need both guys producing because of the, the fact that you're missing Danny Jansen, because you're missing Teoscar Hernandez. This isn't exactly something that you can, you know, look on and say, you know, one guy's struggling, one guy's playing good. You want both guys playing good. And if that if that's the case, both of them could be in the lineup at certain days because of the opportunity that presents itself out in the outfield right now. I want both guys to get playing time. I want Biggio to get in there. But, like, right now it's a dog-eat-dog world. Like, the Blue Jays, I've said this before, they are no longer in the business of giving opportunities to guys who can't perform at the major league level. The Blue Jays have the potential to win a World Series this year. They can't afford to be wasting at-bats in April and May because they want to get one guy going. They want to get one guy hot. They have to roll with whoever's better right now. And if that comes at the cost of playing time for Kevin Biggio, if that comes at the cost of having him, you know, get his feet wet at the majors and, you know, he's played in the majors before, obviously he's got a lot of games under his belt, but have that playing time, have that comfortability after a rough season last year. If it comes at the cost of that, I'm fine with that. If Espinal gives the Blue Jays a better shot at winning, it, it feels bad to say, but it sucks to suck, Kevin. Like you have to perform in the majors 
the Blue Jays are at a point where they can't afford to be giving opportunities to guys who aren't. So I am sympathetic to him. I do want the Blue Jays. I I want him to get playing time. I want him to have success at the major league level, obviously. We want that for any player in the Blue Jays system. We're never rooting against guys. It's just the fact that at this point in time where the Blue Jays are, it's absolutely necessary that they win games. And Santiago Espinal gives them a better shot of that. So that's where I stand on all of this. Again, I want Kevin Biggio to get playing time. I want him to succeed. It's just a fact of the matter with how he's performing right now. So um, I guess the last thing to mention on this podcast, we haven't talked really about the starter performance yet. And we're running out of time, but I just want to mention it briefly. The Blue Jays got better starting performances this week than they had over the last weekend. Seems like that shortened spring training is catching up to guys a little bit. They're getting their bearings. Um, Alec Manoa had a phenomenal start, his first start of the season. Um, he opened the series against the Yankees. Absolutely phenomenal. He didn't give up. Uh, he only gave up, what was it, one hit? I think. But it was he, he walked four guys. Yeah, I think that it was, was a good start I think overall, that was the final just line. some control issues. Yeah, yeah, and it was really just one inning that he kind of lost the command of the strike zone, and then he got right back into it, and I think it was the changeup was working really well. That's what a lot of people picked up on and, and what he said he had improved a lot over the offseason. So, so far, Manoa off to a phenomenal start. Jose Brios, a little bit of back, back bounce-back start. Still rough around the edges, but um, better there. Kevin Gosman, also a good start. He gave up, I think it was two runs, but um, by and large, a good outing from him. He had a lot of swing and misses on his splitter. It was working again. We've seen that in his last start. We saw it again today. So really nasty stuff from Gosman. And then Yusei Kikuchi, probably the roughest outing of the weekend. But still, if that's the roughest outing of the weekend, you can live with that as a team. Or of the week, you can live with that as a team. Um, and now we hear that the Blue Jays are going to a six-man rotation. We're getting Ross Stripling starting this weekend. And then it'll be, uh, that'll bump back Ryu, Alec Manoa, bump, bump back a couple guys by a couple days so that Ryu gets that extra rest that he, we know he, he enjoys so much. So that's kind of the state of things in the starting rotation. Again, we're running out of time, so we don't really have time to discuss it, but it's looking good. It's looking better on the starting rotation. So we'll wrap it up there. Um, we're excited for this weekend series against Oakland. We're excited to see Kevin Smith back in Toronto. He's been getting regular playing time with the Athletics. So excited to see him back at the Hawk Corner or wherever he plays in Toronto. Um, until then, as always, you can support our podcast on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash section 138 pod. You can find us on social media, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at section 138 pod. As always, you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast, which just helps spread the word about what we're doing here. And then lastly, you can find our podcast on YouTube. Just search Section 138 Podcast. Or if you watch on YouTube, you can find it wherever you listen. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.